It's game time, heroes. Welcome to the Outlaws Outpost. Welcome, 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 heroes, to the Outlaws Outpost, your unofficial guide to the best Overwatch League team, brought to you by the Surly Nerd Podcast and the official Outlaws supporters group in Austin, the Lone Star Vanguard. I'm your host, James, and with me this week, I have not but one, but two special guests. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves and tell me why you dropped in on our little podcast. You go first. Well, uh, some people, and most people, call me Project. How you doing? Uh, I love Overwatch. I love the Overwatch League. This opportunity was something that I'm extremely thankful for. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, definitely. But no, like this, this esports league is revolutionary. It is the start of something amazing, and I'm very happy to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I'm Paul. Everybody in the Lone Star Vanguard knows me as Bonzi. Vindy uh, messaged me a couple days ago and said I should <laughs> do this thing. Apparently, I know Overwatch a little bit, and he thought it'd be funny. <laughs> see me just like talk out of my ass for the next couple minutes so uh that's why i'm here see why you gotta make me look bad i was trying to be like oh i'm trying to be all nice no i'm just here to have fun (laughs) (laughs) all right for those of you new to the show this is a weird time for you to be picking up the podcast but hey welcome what the heck is the outlaws outpost well it just so happens that our favorite overwatch league team is the houston outlaws and we have way too much to say about them so here we are ready to chat and debate all things outlaws this week on the show we're gonna be talking about the end of season one with a hopeful look towards season two This week, due to the nature of the first season being over, we're going to change up the format a little bit. Instead of me just giving the play-by-play, I want to have kind of a general discussion with the panel about the various games that kind of wrapped everything up. So our first match of the week, uh, of of the final week of the Overwatch League, was against the uh, Philadelphia Fusion. And right off the bat, I gotta say, I was worried. We were in no position going into this, this match against Philly to be losing games, and Philly has really brought the pain this season. Well, not just that, but we also have to take into account that this game was one of the most important games for the Outlaws this season. They had to not only win, but end up with a very positive score if they wanted any chance of actually getting into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, what was it? Our map original against Seoul was, was like real tight. So if we wanted to make 100% sure, of course, we didn't know what we knew then at the time, but but if we if we ended up in a situation where Soul was going to beat us in map differential, my phone is trying to play game footage right now. <laughs> if we ended up in a situation where Soul was going to try and beat us in map differential, we needed to make sure we boosted as much as possible or else we didn't have a chance against them. Yeah, and it was really surprising because Houston really showed up to the Philly fight. Oh, yeah. I was like, holy oh, crap. Yeah. I think that we took the, was it the first three, I want to say? Something oh, no, no, no. We lost Blizzard World at the beginning. Getting. Yeah, and then I was nervous at that point. I was like, "Crap, we lost Blizzard World. Is this just going to be the death of us right here? Because yeah. if we don't, if we don't win here, that's it. That's game over for us." And then all of a sudden, I, I don't know. I guess we woke up or something. Like I guess we all like had like a, an energy drink and we're like, "Hey, guys, we're here." Yeah. That, was, that was that was what uh, it was. Flame that said like after the match, he was like, "Yeah, our team showed up because we knew it was really, really important. Right. Yeah. We had to win this one, so we won it." And it was that was all there was to it. Well, can, right. we, can we talk about the score real quick? I mean, they went one and two on the first map, so they lost that. Mm-hmm. But then they went two and one on the control map. We had oh, sorry, two and one on Horizon. We went two and one on Lijong Tower and three and zero on Watchpoint Gibraltar. Right, like those are scores that are indicative of hey, we came to play. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. 
And, you know, I really got to say that uh, I was excited about, like, watching this game once we started getting that first win under our belt because I'm like, holy crap, we're showing up, we're going to take this, maybe we have a chance of making it into the playoffs. And really, we just kind of ran all over them after that blizzard world. Oh, yeah. Like, it was oh, crazy. Yeah. So I get that we get our victory out of our system and we move over to New York. And I'm not going to lie here. After we took that Philly fight, I was kind of feeling like we could take it to New York. We, we had the right. momentum behind us for sure. It well, was. Yeah, but who, who was it? I forget. Was it Rockus or. I can't remember who actually said it, but they were like, we are happy that we're going back to back. Because if we win against Philly, we can take that momentum. We can beat New York. Yeah, yeah, Granted, yeah. they didn't, but that momentum still carried them into a good game. It was a 3 right. It was a three-two matchup. Like, it doesn't get much closer than that. Did, did the last point. Did the last map go to three points? No, it th- no, it didn't. No, it, no, it went to, to it went to NYXL. NY right, so yeah. it was it was pretty intense when you go back and you look at that game because we come out of the gate and I believe we won the first map, which was Blizzard World. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like completely hyped at this point. I'm like, holy crap, we just took the first map against New York. Right. Like this might happen. And then like New York got the second one, and I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. We're going into the half one one. Like we we saw we still have potential. We can mm. still kind of bring it here. Um, and it was just back and forth, right? It went to map five. Yeah, yeah right. Unfortunately, we have a bad track record with control points and map five specifically. It was, it was, it was, it was the control point curse that bit us in the ass right at the very end. It was, mm-hmm. it, it was almost poetic in a way, especially with the uh, stage, stage one and stage two, uh, especially stage one where we were doing really well. Uh, even, even when we were doing well, controls was just monstrous for us mm-hmm. and it just ended up being a problem through the whole uh, Overwatch League stage 3 we did okay in control relative to our other stages but other than that just don't don't show us a control map and, and reg- bad in regards to control so we can look at New York XL we know for a fact that they are one of the most mechanically skilled teams in the entire Overwatch League right what is control let me test your mechanical skill this team fight the map right mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it sucks that they took it 2-0, but I mean, it's, that's kind of their game mode. So yeah. I guess one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves right now is, why is it that we can't seem to hold control points? Like, is there a logical reason watching our gameplay going into all these matches, all these control points that we've done throughout the course of the Overwatch League that you can think of off the top of your head, why we just can't seem to lock it down? Outlaws fucking suck at dueling. That's all there is to it. It just Linkser has the sniping shit down. Right. Jake, when he's on Junkrat, rolls everybody. But other than that, we fall apart in one-on-one situations. Mm. Anytime Jake's up against somebody on a on his tracer, or if he has to play soldier, if he has to play anything else, his Hanzo is pretty clean. Actually, I wish he'd play Hanzo a little bit more. But mm. like, generally speaking, just dueling, we have a lot of issues. Yeah. Okay. So. I guess when we look at this whole this whole kind of mess that happened with New York, that kind of brings us into our main topics for the panel, right? So we know that we've lost. Um, and funny enough, I do want to bring up, we only, if you look at the stats, I think that we only didn't go to the playoffs by two maps. Yes, yes. Not, yes. not even wins. If we had won two maps, we would have been in the playoffs. Yep. That means if we had won like that, one against Philly and one against New York. That would have been it. We would have been Checking in. Checking the stats really quick. Yeah. No, no, no. We were we were down by wins. It was, well, we, were was two, it? we were two wins down from uh, uh, fifth place for sixth place. Okay. Philly exactly. needed to lose a little bit more. Okay, got it. Yeah. Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure. Thank you for checking that for me. Yeah, sure thing. So now we are in our main topics. So overall, how well did just you like the Overwatch League in general in the first season? Uh, just I, general impressions. Okay, Is I'll start you? this off. I 
am beyond excited for season two. Not just because of how amazing the season one was. We saw the potential of what this can become. I mean, sure, it's they're treating it like they treat regular sports, throwing ads on everything, throwing. But doesn't that make it more real? Yeah, I was gonna say more. It leads a little more legitimacy to it. I would say. I mean, like you, you watch the NFL's like Snickers play of halftime or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And we're getting that with T-Mobile sponsoring everything. Right. Yeah, Uh, it's like it's like it's like a a full disclosure. My my major esports background, the way I really got into esports was through League of Legends. And uh, the first time I ever saw a Coke ad in an LCS just in an LCS broadcast, I was like, "Oh wait, this is fucking." Yeah, that, real. that makes you realize it's, mm-hmm. it is real. It's wait legitimate. Like mm-hmm. they are making money off of this. And I mean, yeah. look, yeah. esports are great. Sports are great. We yeah. love watching this. It's an entertainment thing. We need to take into account the fact that these people are trying to make money. Of course, of course, what makes money ads. Yeah, uh, they're yeah. The Overwatch League on. isn't going to continue just because people tune into Twitch. Yeah, yeah. Right? It, it doesn't work like that. Now with the money that's being thrown around, now with them building a, a stadium for it, like there's a lot of factors here. And like you said, it does add that air of legitimacy to it when you do see them come out and they've got the you know T-Mobile on their shirts and stuff like that because it shows they are being sponsored by a big name company. Yeah. And the fact that we're hearing that going into season two, even more money's going to be thrown around towards the Overwatch right. League. I mean, come on. This is a pretty big deal. What was the new buy-in? Like, it went from 20 mil to 30 mil starting for yeah, the teams? starting. They're, they're increasing it by, like, 30 mil. They, they're, they're like, God. well, you didn't join us in the first season. Give us more money. Right? Yeah. And, come I mean, I, I remember when the season first started, there were minimal ads. Yeah. Very, very few. But as it kept going on, we started seeing T-Mobile, Sour Patch Kids, Toyota. Mm-hmm. And they keep adding more and more and more. And I'm like... This is really making them some serious money. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. like, advertisers want to sign up for it. That's good for right? the league. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go into the uh, Outlaws specifically now. Mm-hmm. What do you think the Outlaws' strongest points were just over the course of the season? It could be one specific thing or a consistent thing. Uh, for me personally, it's seeing their teamwork. I mean, there were multiple players that said throughout the league, hey, it's not about who has the best skill. Mm-hmm. It's who can work the best as a cohesive unit. Yeah. And the Outlaws did that from day one. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what makes them so entertaining to watch. It makes them so lovable. I mean, they're, they're, they, they're were, family. they were the underdogs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they came in and, you know, they're just kind of a big family and they all kind of brought each other together. I mean, I, they have some things that were an advantage for them. Um, Junkrat really wasn't a meta character. Yeah. Until Jake came along and he basically made <laughs> Junkrat a meta character. Jake right. Rat. Like, that's a pretty big deal, though. And then then even then, Jake and, like, one other person, I can't remember the name. There were only two people in the Overwatch League who really played Junkrat, and the other person only played Junkrat because Jake played it. Yeah. Like, Jake was the one that brought it into the League, and everybody went, oh, if you're good at this character, it can be viable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know, man. There's so much that you can kind of say here, because they came out in Stage 1. They really just blew the doors open, being the underdogs. You know, they said, we're here to show up and play when Dallas was considered the team to beat, essentially. Right, like, right. it was like New York, Dallas. It was like, you know. Well, because Dallas teams. was the Texas stream team. They had all the big name players. Can yeah. we say, though, no one expected New York to just come up and shine like they did until they started showing up. Yeah. I, I actually expected you, you did? to start kicking ass right away. Did yeah. you okay. think it was okay. because they purchased their roster very selectively? Yes. Okay. Okay. No, no. They're, they're, I joked from the beginning that they were the New York Koreans. I kind of agreed. <laughs> so, so, so that was actually some analysis that Monty gave near the beginning of the season. He was like, 
look at NYXL, they're literally just I think it was Abzu Blue from 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 the Korean LW leagues. Blue. That was it. Yeah. But they were literally just that team from the Korean leagues, and they were a dominant team in the Korean leagues. And if you believe Monty's uh, logic that the Korean guys are the best guys in uh, in <laughs> esports, which I think I think is shaky at times, but there is some historical precedent for it. I I had reason to believe that NYXL was going to be a good team. Now, what I was what I was surprised by was watching London collapse. Here's the thing: I, yeah, I thought London true. I thought yeah. London was going to be on the level of NYXL, but they barely squeaked into the playoffs. It's what true. They, what they, happened to them? Like, that's so this is question. something that I know that long-time listeners of this show uh, have heard me say several times. But when we go back to the history of the Overwatch League, uh, Stage 1, we go all the way to the playoffs and we go up against London. Yes. And we lose. But by that point in the fight, we were exhausted. We had fought like three different matches that day when yep. we lost to London. And then you go into Stage 2 and our first fight is against London and we wipe the floor with them and we had wiped the floor with them ever since. It yes. was literally exhaustion that took Houston out of the playoffs yeah. in Stage 1. Wasn't in Stage 1, didn't they have the playoff in all one? No, it was the it same was like day one as day. Saturday. Yeah. My yeah. God, the Spirits did it in one night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't want to keep going back to that point, but that's when you look historically at Houston going against London, their loss at the beginning of the play, at the playoffs in stage one had to have been exhausting. I'm sensing oh, a little, for sure, I'm for a little sure. bone of contention here. Just a little Just bit. A little I think bit. it's deserved, there's, there's, though. There's a, little, I mean, a little bit of a chip if in If you shoulder. ask any athlete, regardless of if it's eSports or regular sports, you ask them to compete, what was it, three times in yeah. one day? Not to mention all the practice that you were doing beforehand. I mean... Like, that's, that's, that's intense. That's yeah. way too much. Nah, it was rough. It was rough. So what do we think the uh, out, some of the Outlaws' weakest points were, though? Oh, uh, boy. Tracer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our, we, we, had, we had issue on our, on our DPS versatility. Uh, we just we needed that Tracer when it was meta, when it was solid, when Dive was at its diviest. So that's what I was going to kind of lead to a little bit, is that we know that we had a really good Stage 1. We had a really rough Stage 2 and 3 that had some highlights. And then we came back during Stage 4, but it just wasn't enough at that point. Yeah. Well, if we were discussing things like our weakest points in the first season, we have to specifically look at stage two and three and say, ask ourselves the question, what went wrong? So I, and I know this is a controversial opinion. I had, I had a lot of issues with our support line, especially in season two and season three. And, and I, I specifically focusing on raucous, I feel like, and, and, and there, and there were some people that were, that I've actually talked about this with some friends of mine before. And they said that this kind of falls on the DPS and the tank line too. But I feel like raucous got caught out way too much at, at a certain point. Cause I, I go to every watch party I can. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point it became a joke, at least with me and a few other people that we would watch the kill feed and see, all right, let's see how fast raucous can die before everyone else. And we would find, in almost every single team fight, Rockets would end up dropping first. Is that a weakness in the fact that you are saying that his play is bad? Or is it because people recognize him as a threat and immediately go after him? I think I think if you if you had a small sample size and you saw Rockets was getting killed really fast, it would be kind well, of whatever. Let, let's take Overwatch League out of this for us. Let's just talk yeah. base Overwatch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rockets typically plays what? Zenyatta? Zenyatta, yeah. So if you are playing Overwatch and you see a Zenyatta isolated, yeah. you focus him. Regardless right. of who it is, you say, oh, crap, unless, unless it's Jonak, then you avoid him like the play. <laughs> <laughs> but typically, you see a Zenyatta, you see a Mercy. If they're by themselves, they should be the first to go down. Yeah, right. but, the, but, the, but then the question you have to be asking yourself is, uh, 
Oh God, who's our other? Who's our other support? He's totally just Bonnie like, Boink. Yeah, Bonnie, Bonnie and Boink. <laughs> they never got caught out all the time. Like sometimes, sometimes Boink would get caught out of Mercy, but Mercy, Mercy has the has some movement. But but it feels like it feels like Rockus just. I think he had issues staying with the team. Sometimes it felt like because so you felt like he had a positioning problem. Yeah, because because I think I think over a short sample size, the team definitely needs to stay with the swords. But over a long sample size, over over a season season long sample size, there comes a certain point when you have to look at it and go, "This is the only person who's dying consistently." Right. So I guess part of the the next part of the question is when we look at the various stages. Obviously, the patches that were in play do affect the the meta of the Overwatch League. Right. Were the patches that were in play during stages two and three um, a, the detriment to the Outlaws, or was it the fact that we just couldn't counter-dive? Yeah, well, well, that was it. Okay, so stage one, dive hadn't been super established yet. Right. People hadn't really figured it out, and everybody was just sort of playing their own game because there wasn't anything that was established. Uh, with, uh, with stage one... Overwatch or Outlaws had a really strong counter dive with the way we played our game, especially with the Jake. Mm-hmm. And it caused a lot of problems for the other teams because they couldn't dive in on us. And it's how we got to the stage one playoffs. Right. Stage two and stage three, teams figured out and solidified dive. And on top of that, there were Mercy was insanely powerful at that point. Right. And, it became, that. and it became a problem. And uh, again, since we had issues with our support line, it became harder for us to adjust to that. A combination of the fact that our counter dive wasn't able to overcome the fact that they were diving the shit out of us and the fact that we had a weaker support line I think that was why we suffered so much in stage 2 and stage 3 well plus I don't think that the outlaws ever really got good at dive in the first no. place mm-hmm. you know they, they were a team that had amazing defense but the second you tried to play the meta the second you tried to dive it was like it didn't and, work out too well and for you know them. it's something that if you play overwatch at all and play competitive at all, it's that you get that feeling sometimes when you go into a, a competitive game and somebody on, on your team says like, oh, let's go dive. Yeah. Because they know that's what a meta thing is. Yeah. But they don't under, actually understand what playing dive means. I can play dive on Soldier 76. Right, they, assume, <laughs> they, they assume let's play dive means we have to use this combination of heroes, but they don't understand why that combination of heroes functions right. in that scenario. It doesn't right. know that you're supposed to go into that back line, get that Widow, get that Zenyatta, and then jump back out. Right. They just go in, they start the team fight, and then they just die. Now, I will say, jumping back a little bit, one major strength of the Outlaws that I, I feel like we need to get highlighted is... There's 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 a lot of uh, overarching things that we've done overarching things that we've done really well. I think and I and I mean this legitimately. I think the Outlaws has the best tank line in the Overwatch League. Okay. I, think, I think that Muma and Clockwork are actually two of the best tanks in the not Overwatch cool League. Not Kuma. Oh, and Kuma. Of course. Of course. Hold on. Please, please, not, not cool Kuma. No, not not cool. <laughs> not not cool. Not 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 clockwork cool Matt. They go with, they both got C's in the name. It's throwing me off. But uh, but I think cool Matt. I think cool Matt and Muma are actually two of the best. And especially Muma when yes, Muma yes. is especially when Muma is allowed to play Reinhardt. It is mind blowing watching that man swing that oh, hammer. I know. Man, he's it my is inspiration. Insane. Absolutely, like, he's the absolutely. reason that I play Reinhardt. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember. In and the, the reason I play Winston too. Stage mm-hmm. four because. He was mostly playing Winston because I was the meta hero. That was right, Dive, right, right? right? And then he was like, I get to play Reinhardt again. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> his his Earth Shatters are amazing. He has such good such good mind games with the shields. Like, yes. like the yes. other the other tanks can't touch him. 
I, I legitimately think that that uh, that Muma, especially Muma, is probably the best tank in the Overwatch League. Really? Oh, wow. That's a bold yes. Bold. Okay. okay. No. No. Legit. Legit. And actually, and you're not saying that like as, a, as like an no, outlaw fanboy. Like, no. No. I mean that. I mean that legitimately. I think Muma. If Let's he's, if look he's, at the if, stats, shall we? <laughs> if he's not, if he's not one of the best tanks in the league, I would say he's definitely top three. Right. So I was kind of curious, and this has just been kind of a personal opinion of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last weeks of uh, or just, let's just talk about stage four in general. I know that we had Arhan in uh, during the uh, during stage four, yes. and I felt like there were times where, you know, bringing Arhan in made sense. Like we were playing against Shanghai. Yeah, it's probably a safe bet. Get him some time. Yeah. There were other times that I feel like we brought Arhan in, and these were in games where we should not have been bringing somebody that fresh to the team in. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was like. Is that maybe why we lost some things? Is that well? Here's the question: Did he ever really show up? Like, let's let's seriously think about that, though. Did Arhan really ever come in and say, "Wow, that was such a good acquisition"? That's that's mm-hmm. that's the thing with sports. Sometimes is when you get a new acquisition or when you're in a pressure situation, and this is legit a thing teams will do, especially in baseball. If you've got a new guy and you've got a high pressure situation, sometimes they'll just chuck him in there and see what happens. True. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the new guy will show up and just blow everybody out of the water, and sometimes they just crumple. I mean, I think that they got Arhan to fill a very specific position that they didn't have tracer genji yeah yes, tracer exactly. genji is exactly what yeah. they especially is genji yeah and i he, mean he, and he's really good don't get me wrong i yeah. just feel like in stage four when he was available there were some games where we subbed him in that we should not have taken that risk. Well, do, do you think that part of, partially the reason for that being is i mean if you play as a team if you consistently play with the same heroes over and over that that might have just been a fact of Hey, we don't really know what to do when we have a tracer, or we're not really used to having a Genji oh, on the yeah, squad. Point, I actually. think that it goes both ways. I think that it's partially a what do we do when we have a Genji or a tracer that's really good, and the other part of it is, at that point, that player is almost a a wild card. Yeah. Right. Because you have not spent enough time with that player to know how they react to things. I can tell you right now that a lot that most of the outlaws know how each other plays. Down to like where Muma's going to move next. Yeah. Right? And they're able to predict that and move with him. Whereas Arhan, he comes in on his Genji and he's halfway across the map and you're like, hey, where the fuck did this guy go? Right? Yeah. Right? Like, do we go over there and back him up? Do we call him back over here and say, come oh, back? That sounds like my comp games. <laughs> it's, yes, it's exactly like your comp it's games. Like, oh, well, Reinhardt just ran in in 1v6. Okay. <laughs> the worst ability in the game, right? Yeah. Is that, is that damn dash. So, over the course of the season, were there any outstanding, like, moves or plays that really stuck out in your mind? Ooh. It doesn't have to be a single instance, but, you know. Can I say my friend Dinkser? <laughs> <laughs> look, look, out of all the snipers in the league, Linkser was easily one of my favorites to watch. Just because when he went off, dink, Oh man, links are popped off. Oh, it's just Ugh. it's so satisfying just just watching just His those headshots. His play was just like we're not that kind of podcast, but it was sexual. <laughs> like, like you watch and you're like I'm kind of turned on right now. Right, like right. that's like get in there. Get in there and but keep doing that. There please. is nothing better in Overwatch than getting a sniper headshot cuz you know yeah. that was Skill. Mm-hmm. That was pure skill. And okay. I've like, always found, personally, ooh. watching the Overwatch League, I find some of the most enjoyment watching watching it through the eyes of Widow yeah. and really hating it watching it through the eyes of Tracer. 
Yeah. For, for me, my favorite is watching it through the eyes of a Lucio. Yeah. <laughs> Lucio man, by the way. Skating on the wall, yeah. skating on the wall. Uh, so I think my favorite moment of of the Outlaws, watching the Outlaws play, is it was Li Zhang Tower. They were in the, the observation room. I think that's what it's called. Whatever, the planetarium. And, uh... And, uh control center? Yeah, control... Yeah, it was control center. Yeah. And, uh... Muma jumps in front of the whole team... Pulls his shield out and blocks an earth shatter at the last. Oh! <laughs> that shit was sick. Oh it was so God. good. It was so good. Like they actually t- made a gif um, of the of the cinematic where Reinhardt dashes in and guards people. They put Muma's face on Reinhardt and showed him <laughs> dashing in, saving the soldiers with his shields because it was like on that level. It was yeah. so good. I think weirdly for me, not just in terms of gameplay. But watching some of the Outlaws videos and stuff, I haven't got to watch all of them, but I did watch some. Uh, some of the highlights for me was, um, first off, yes, I am from Houston, and that's kind of where my bias towards going picking Shoot. picking the Outlaws came from. But I also realized that as, as a Texan living in Austin, I had a choice. Yeah. Right? I had a choice between two teams. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to go with the Houston team. I'm going to go with my hometown. As and you should. And not only did they not disappoint, but getting to watch this team that I knew nothing about who the players were rise to the ranks as underdogs really seem like a family and really seem to care about each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I becoming emotionally invested in a team in a way that I had never done before. Like, yeah, my family's from Detroit and like they watch the Red Wings and we get invested in hockey or, you know, my, my family in Houston's really into the Astros, but I, while I enjoy those things, never found myself getting as invested as I did watching the outlaws, you know, uh, one of the things that I said at the very end of the season when we lost against New York was, you know, I had never had that experience in my life where my team almost went to the playoffs yes. and I just got that ripped out from under me. Well, see, I, I want to take that and I want to go back to a question you asked earlier mm-hmm. where you said what really made season one feel special. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that those storylines can exist yeah. Traditional esports that normally play, it was like, okay, Cloud9, who, okay, versus what, Envious, I'm pulling names out of my ass now. Just, why, why do I care about these teams, you know? Whereas now, they're tied to a city. These teams have players that I actually care about because all of us from this one spot can actually care about this team together. We have a reason to band together. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> and actually, like... I mean, to be, something. to be fair, that was one of the smartest, if I'll, I'll, I'll say it, marketing decisions. Yes. No. Blizzard, you, Blizzard you did. knew that shit and they yep. did that shit. Yep. Yeah. They were like, we need cities in our league. And, and then, they yeah. did it. That's what makes it so special is that it's not just I'm cheering for X team because I like their colors. Do I'm cheering because this is H-Town. Let's go. Yeah. You know? Hell yeah. Like, exactly. That, that exactly. makes a league a league, mm-hmm. not just I'm cheering for whatever. It's, no, I'm yeah. cheering for my boys, the Houston like, Outlaws. Like, like yeah. that's why I cheer for Houston, man. I'm wearing that. I remember I was talking with my uncle, who's a, a high school sports coach in, in uh, Michigan. Yeah. And I was getting some advice from him because I had never really done any coaching before uh, about our local group, the Lone Star Vanguard. And so I'm getting advice from him. He's trying to understand what it was that I was talking about, like what I was getting, what I was going to be coaching. And he spent some time doing a little bit of research on his own outside of our conversation. Okay. And so while he didn't fully understand the game of Overwatch, watching a little bit of it, watching some of the commentary, he did begin to understand the basic mechanics of it. And then finally he came to me at one point and he was just like, 
So I guess my other weird question for you is like, why does Houston and Dallas get a team and like Detroit doesn't have one? Like, where's, <laughs> where, where's our team? Yeah. And I was like, well, you got to give it time. Like, you're, you're going to get yeah, one. It's coming. Just not not yet. We just had to get there. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure Shytown's going to get one. Oh, so. for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many great highlights to season one, and I wish I could be sitting here saying that we had the true underdog story, because that's what I was kind of hoping for. I thought we were going to have the Hollywood underdog story, where we come in as underdogs, we perform really well, we we dive and lose for a long time, and then we have a rise at the top, and we take down the championships at the very end. Yeah, I mean, see, that's the beautiful thing about Overwatch League. We know there's going to be more than one season. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. going to keep going. At least for two more seasons. I'm pretty sure oh, no, this is going to go for a but while. Gonna, but we know it's going to go longer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with the monetization that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the partnership with Twitch. Yeah. I wonder how much they definitely made that $90 million investment back. Oh, yeah. No for sure. No question. So. So we can solve that underdog story. <laughs> big, big questions here. What heroes do we need to improve with to make for a stronger season two? Oh, God. See, and this... So I typically would say Tracer, right? Right, that's, then, that's the go-to, right? But then we have Brigida that just came in. She is the perfect Tracer counter. So really, it makes you question, okay, well, what else do you need? I mean, no, I'm good. I, I, I would Actually, say maybe no, Doomfist? Uh, typically, Doomfist isn't a hero that we see a lot in the league, but whenever we do see him, he usually is like, wow, that's that's some amazing play, right? I actually think season two we're going to see more Doomfist. Okay. I think so. I think so. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I know for a fact we're going to see more Symmetra. Thank God. Um, and, of course, she's we have She's actually a, OP right now. <laughs> right? She's a lot of fun, though. She's so good. She's a lot of fun. I was, I was low-key a Symmetra main during the closed beta. I was a Symmetra main back when she gave people shields. Yes! Back before, back before they reworked her and it made her fucking suck. Remember the days of the Torbjorn and Symmetra maps where it's like, just give everybody a shield and armor. Just do it. Just do it. And uh, no one ever died. Oh, man. So, 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 <laughs> so this, is, this is way back, but... Uh, but back when back when Blizzard was first putting out videos of Overwatch, back before it was even the closed beta, back when it was the closed internal alpha, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things is when they first showed Tracer gameplay. But they showed Tracer gameplay when they had a Symmetra and a Torbjorn on their team. And the thing is, back in the day, and I and I and I checked the, the health bar, Symmetra gave 75 HP on her shields, and Torbjorn gave 75 armor on his armor packs. You had a tracer running around with a 350 <laughs> HP. Just a natural 350 HP. She didn't die. I mean, it was don't terrifying. Forget that well, shield they, and armor. That with Brigida when she first came out, they were like, hey, how high can you get a tracer? Like using Rally and then stacking that with like Torb. And, yeah, yeah. yeah like it's, so it's hard to predict what we think will make, what characters we need to improve with for okay. season two. But I feel like there's going to be some staples that will always be there. I feel like you'll always have your Reinhardts. Yes. You know, I feel like Zarya is really coming back in very strong. With I think the- girl Diva, Diva, what's Diva, up? Diva's still always going to be pick ban. Yeah. Wrong game. Wrong game. Wrong game. Hold on. <laughs> Shit. Okay, so... Why um, haven't they banned Aurelia? What the... <laughs> so... Bringing up Diva makes for a good point, though, because today, as of today, the recording of this show, Hero 28 was revealed, and that's Hammond, right? <laughs> I call him Hamtaro. His name is Hamtaro, and now, canonically, that's just what I'm calling him. <laughs> so, he's a hamster in a giant mech that rolls around everywhere. And I'm actually really curious, because I'm wondering... I got a two-part question here. Okay. What effect do you think Hammond will have on the meta of Overwatch? And two... 
Who on the Outlaws do you think should play him? Okay, I got something to say about this. Yeah. Uh, so Ooh, I was thinking stepped up for this one. Oh yeah, hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking earlier about okay, so we have a new off tank, right? Yeah. We have been getting nothing but DPS and healers for a long time, yeah. right? So great, we have a new off tank. What can this off tank do to actually do something to the meta? And I'm gonna be honest, I don't think much. Okay, Look, okay. Uh, Wrecking Ball or Hammond, whatever you want to call him, Ham Tower for the win. Yeah. Uh, he's great at disrupting. You, you were saying this earlier. I'm stealing this from you. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's good, great at good, disrupting. Good, he's good. great at getting in the back line, great at abusing the front line, great at getting in and be like, whoa, what the hell? Where'd this guy come from? You know what I mean? And he gets out real quickly as well, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he has enough DPS or killing power to actually make a difference in, holy shit, we need to take care of this guy. See, here's the thing, and, and I, I just I just thought of this while you were talking about this. People have been talking for a long time about a potential three-tank meta. People started talking about that when Brigida came out, because they were like, okay, we'll have, we'll have the three-tank meta with the with the two tanks and the off-tank and Brigida. Okay. I think this could legit... I think, I think since there are just... There's one more tank in the game that can play the off-tank role effectively. I think there's a real good chance that Hammond could, like, fill an off-off-tank role. So, like, yeah, I know. That sounds... That's, that's yeah, some, I'm like, hold on, what? That's some, that's some crazy <laughs> shit, I know. So, like, so like you got a Rhine or somebody like that in your main tank role. Yeah. And you got your Diva in your off-tank role. And then you got Hammond in your off-off-tank role just rolling around and shooting shit up. I mean, let's, room, let's think, let's think about the map King's Row for a second, right? Yeah. It's pretty much a straight line... To go where you're going. I'm not yeah. talking about the side tunnels. Yeah. Think about a team that is advancing on King's Row with a payload. And they are pushing the enemy team back. The enemy team's holding their own, but they really haven't ha- suffered any losses yet. Yeah. You get a Hammond with his ult to roll around behind them, drop his mines, and then the, your team d- with the Hammond just pushes the enemy team essentially into the mines. Yeah. You also, make, you can just you hook to them. that statue and you just go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's true. One thing I do want to say, though, is when we finally see players that get skilled with Hammond's hook, he's going to be terrifying because, like, the hook's on, what, a four-second CD? Yeah. It's not very long, which means that he can be like, okay, cool, let me hook in there, mid-air, let me shoot some people, okay, let me put my shield up. Oh, I'm in danger. Let me just hook right out. Hmm. I think like, if you're real solid on Hammond's movement, I think his skill ceiling is, like, yes, very high. Very I mean, he's rated as a three-star hero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, for a reason. I mean, that was my first thought when I looked at him. I was like, he looks like fun, but also that looks really fucking complicated. Yes, it is very. And I mean, I've only... He's got four skills. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have only played with him a bit on the PTR, so I'm not going to act like I'm an expert. Right. But the fact that, yes, he has four skills, the fact that he can dash around with his hook, he has a ground pound, he can shift forms in the, like, and the shifting is very quick. Yeah. As soon as you hit shift, you're either in ball or out of ball and shooting very quickly. To be able to manage all of those on the flick of a dime, like, that's that's intense. It that is. takes skill. Absolutely. So I guess that kind of brings us around about to the second part of the question, which is, you know, who on the Outlaws would play him? Cool Matt and Jake. Cool Matt. Cool Matt for sure. Cool Matt and... Uh, I think Jake. I mean, I mechan- think it's Jake playing him. I, I see him mechanically as a more complicated diva. Yeah. Uh, he his LMGs do damage similar to divas. Are they infinite ammo? It's 80, 80 ammo. And okay. They, and they reload over like two seconds. Okay. So I was thinking about the possibility, and again, I haven't played him or understand all, all like the mechanics reason. yet. But I was actually thinking about him. Uh, teaming up with a diva yeah. and using yeah. that as like a new kind of pseudo dive combo instead of using the Winston Ooh, is like, like the two of I them like dive in together 
because they they're kind of similar in the way that they handle. Yeah. And then you know Winston has a risk of you know either overextending or you know he doesn't have his jump to get out. Like there's a lot of risk reward there with with Winston. Yeah. Whereas you put a diva in, you know, put put uh, Hamtaro in, yeah. and just go with it. Like <laughs> I feel like there's there is really good potential, but. Who do we put where? Maybe I would keep Colmat on the Diva, but at the same time, I say he's so experienced with Diva. Maybe he graduates up to Hammond. Yeah. The other thing right. about Monkey Ball is he also <laughs> he also acts he also acts a lot like Roadhog in a way because you get also, in there you get in there you push the E button and suddenly you have a thousand HP. True, mm-hmm. but you have like that's one thing about his uh, kit too that we didn't mention. He gets shields based on how many enemies are around him. Mm-hmm. So if he intentionally dives into the back line or even worse into the center of the team yep. with all six opponents around him, he gets what six hundred points of shield. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's so, a so, lot. so it's a minimum of one hundred, and then it's I believe plus one hundred for each opponent yeah. that's near yeah. him. So you could be looking at a potentially a 1200 uh, health point hamster in the middle of your team. <laughs> and that's what, made me, that's what made me think about the dive comp. Because I'm like, Winston just doesn't have that. Winston's squishy compared to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Winston relies on his shield to, to move in and out of combat. That be, but that also means he may not be actively engaged in combat at any well, here, point. Well, here's a question fight. I want to ask, though. With Hammond having the shield ability, it's not a shield that actually protects his teammates. Yeah. Hammond is very much a, I can cover myself. Sorry, guys, you're that's, on your that's own. That's why I'm comparing him to Roadhog, because Roadhog is considered a tank, but he doesn't actually do anything to protect his teammates. He has a hook, and he has a self-heal, and he has a big old fuck-off shotgun. That's it. <laughs> right, yeah, the most tanking he does is, is absorb damage, essentially. Yes. Yeah. He shows up. Right, exactly. That's, that's his entire job. Yeah, I think that uh, there's a lot of factors to consider with this. So, do you think that there are any buffs or changes that will really change the meta in season two i know that we're a long way out there's gonna be a lot of patches you know to, to predict for but so so can we go over the changes that went live on the ptr today is do we have time for that oh yeah yeah we got okay time. so we know that sombra is getting a minor rework yeah uh, her stealth is now infinite she can no longer cap points while stealth yeah uh her translocator also has an infinite time and she can destroy it or not destroy it. no she can destroy it. and then also yeah. other people can destroy it if they find it so that gives Silver much... give her her mobility, basically. Yeah. So she she becomes much more of the hey, let me spy around and see where my opponents are mm-hmm, because I mean, mm-hmm. again, if you shoot or if you do anything while you're stealth, hey, you're out. Spy is the the great term for that because it reminds me a little bit of the spy of like TF2. Yeah, it's very being able to get into the enemy team, like look around, see what's going on, report back. You know, especially yeah, yeah. the infinite cloak. It makes me think of the cloak and dagger, mm-hmm. which, which was which was an infamous weapon in TF2, mostly because it was picked by a lot of newbies. Right. Because there would be a lot of people who would. Pick what did it the cloak do? And da- well, okay. So the cloak and dagger, basically, what it does was the only way you would drain cloak is if you moved. Mm-hmm. So what you would get is you would get cloak and dagger spies, and of course the balance in TF2 is entirely different because it's like a twelve v twelve game instead of a six v six game on average. But with the cloak and dagger, you would just have spies who would just sit in the corner and just sit there for two minutes and wait for someone to walk by and they'd backstab them. And they were useless for most of the game. I I wonder if with the cloak rework, or if we're going to get Sombras who just end up perma-invising and just sitting there waiting for the perfect kill. I mean, I wonder I wonder if this can happen. Obviously, if you're a good if you're a good Sombra, you're not gonna do that shit. But I wonder if I wonder if it's going to you raise know, this. If we're if we're gonna see like an assassin Sombra, yeah. basically. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to say like not disclaimer, but like I saw Sombra and I'm like I love her kit, I love her character. I want to get good with this character. Yeah. So I'm playing new Sombra on PTR when I go back home. Yeah. And I'm like I really want to get good with her, but it really makes me question like this new rework. 
changes how she's played. That is true. She, Absolutely. She could very well be the, all right, guys, I'm just going to stealth get behind their back line. You guys move forward. All right, as soon as I hack their Reinhardt, go, go, go. And she could put her translocator back at spawn if she needs to, right? Mm -hmm. So here's a strat that could happen. Translocator on spawn. Sombra stealths all the way to the back line. Say we're on Volskaya Industries point B, right? Goes all the way to the back line, hacks Reinhardt. Team goes in. She translocates back to spawn, then swaps to a no more powerful hero. Ooh, Guess what? that's dirty. Exactly, right? That possibility now can actually happen with this yeah. new Sombra. You could like grab somebody like a Hammond who could get to the back to the front line really fast at that point. And then if you, so say you hack the run, your team takes care of them, you already have that 5v6 advantage, you switch back, switch to a hero that can get there quickly, and then boom, you won the fight because you were quick with Sombra. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's possible that with her gross. now. I'm really excited about Wait, that. Wait, I actually yeah. like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Okay, don't, don't take us in the comment games. This is my strat. I'm, I'm not <laughs> okay. it. You're right, you're right, you're right. So we got to ask the hard questions as we get closer to the end of the, of the discussion <laughs> here. Um... We know that season two is coming around the corner. Yes. We love the outlaws. We think they're the, the players together are very, very strong. Um, but the question's always going to be asked. Um, should people be traded? If so, why? Um, can you think of anybody you want to have on the outlaws? These are the tough questions, but we, as it, we are a fan yeah. podcast. We have to ask these things. Okay. Can we just have Gaguri? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just put the and Numa like together. Okay, so that's the thing. That's the thing. I actually, I actually talked about having having Giguri, and I think she would be great on the Outlaws. The only problem is we don't have a spot for her. Our tanks are already real good. I mean, that would be Spree's spot, basically. Yeah, pretty much. She'd be our third. And Spree's good. And she'd be our sub tank. But who would she replace, though? I mean, exactly. So we could have the dream Muma Giguri combo, but then that puts where's Coolmat go, right? Yeah, and still fine. I feel like it's more just where does Spree go. Because yeah, like her, yeah. her actual strength is in Zarya. Yes. yes. So that's like, all right, Spree, sorry, you did really good, but yeah. the, I, I can't think of any reason to put Curry on the team as much as like, God, I fucking, we, I we really all want wish her. We she all could. want her. Mm. Okay, she's not for us. Sidebar, mm. I do want to say, though, I'm very excited for the All-Star game. Yeah. I'm so happy to actually see her in a spot that's not on the Shanghai Dragons. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but in regards to going back to who can we trade, like, we mentioned earlier, Rockus might be a potential trade. Yeah, like I love the man. I so love the you booty. feel like the, the the him being taken down so much, his positioning, you know, being what it is, it's a detriment to the team. I essentially. think, generally speaking, the only this this is going to sound nuts, but I'm not saying that these people are going to get traded. Yeah. I think the only three 100% safe spots on the Outlaws right now are Rockus, Cool and Jake. Yes. Outside of that, I think anybody is potential to get traded. I, I, I'm with I'm that. Not, I'm not that. saying they're likely to get traded, but I think that those three are 100% safe, and outs and those three, I think, define the core of the well, outlaws. Well, let's talk about healers for a second, right? Yeah. Mm. In the Overwatch League, there are very few healers sure. who have actually stood out. And mm. when I say stood out, I really mean stood out. We're talking about our Jonax. We're yeah. talking about Custas. Right. We're talking about healers that people know their names. Yeah. We don't really have that on the outlaws. Like we, we love Rockus because he's Rockus, but he's yeah. not a household name. People right. aren't scared of him. In order in order for the outlaws to be successful, we need a Jonak. Yes. One hundred percent. We need we need we need somebody who can play Zenyatta and when he shows up it's like Right, right. And by the way, I'm not gonna say that Rockus is bad, because if you yeah. see Rockus on a hot streak, 
Oh, he is he's, he's killing it. Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess I should say this with the caveat that all the players are very, very good on the Overwatch, course, on the Outlaws. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a matter of whether or not they're a good player or not. It's a matter of whether or not they're a good player within the context of the Outlaws. Right. And I feel like, and I feel like, and I, I'm, really, I'm really ragging on the support line, but I, I feel like those guys specifically don't gel as well. Well, I, okay. I want to ask a question to everyone here. Do we know the rules of trading because for season one they had plenty of rules that plenty of times they said hey it seemed like we were kind of making making it up as we were going along yeah I'm I, assuming, I agree I'm with assuming that. there's anti poaching rules I'm pretty sure like yeah. the the managerial staff have to talk to each other mm. it's like it's like in the LCS um, some people actually got in trouble for poaching because they directly approached players instead of talking to managerial staff that's that's how a professional league is supposed to be run is if you want to trade players manager A talks to manager B manager yes. A doesn't go to player and say Hey, we got money, right? <laughs> that's poaching. That's what poaching is. Yeah. In 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 between seasons, it might be more loosey goosey. Um, right. I I don't know exactly how players are being treated in terms of free agency, but there's a chance that players may just be able to sign their own contracts. Mm. I don't know what kind of contracts they have worked out with the Overwatch League and what the rules are. But in the off season, we may just see players that go, "Hey, these guys gave me a better deal. I'm out." I don't know if I am confident enough with Arhan. To say that we need him next season, yeah. Um, yeah. I just I'm I'm at a loss to figure out who within the Overwatch League I could point to and say if I had to replace him with somebody, who would that person well, be? We also have to take into account the entirety of the Contenders League. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are some players who are working their asses off in that league to get noticed. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, you're stealing my talking points again. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, man. You say hey, way back. Hey, look, I'm just saying that like we we have so many players that want to be there. And then we can't also forget the amount of players who are actually good on live that say just stream or the amount of players that like don't like what's his name? Uh Calvin mm-hmm. or yeah. Aimbot Calvin, how he is good enough for Overwatch League, but he doesn't want it because of the contractual obligations, right. which is a fair reason to not want to join, but say he decides to change his mind. Yeah, I mean that would be a game changer. Right? Absolutely. I mean heck if we could even get, you know, Mendo to come in, like I've I've seen him play. Same. It's it's dirty. Like we probably, if Mendo could have played, and I totally understand why he couldn't play. Um, but if he could have, we would have never needed Arhan in the first place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's straight up what it was. So while there were a lot of people who were ignorant of the situation, were just like, we don't have a good Genji or Tracer. Like we just don't have one. I'm like, actually, technically, we have one of the best ones in the world. Yeah. It's just he can't show up for the games right now. Right. Um, what so was the reason for that again? It was a lot of just uh, personal stuff. Okay. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot, her, him dealing with a lot of personal stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe next season we will see him show up. Because if he does, that is a smoking gun that nobody knows about. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did Mendo is, play at all this season? He did not. Damn. Yeah, he handled a lot of the PR events for them. Yeah. yeah, he would go out and do, do PR events and stuff like that. We saw him at a, at a DreamHack. Dream yep. yep. He was super chill. Yeah, he yeah. was. So much fun to talk to. Cool dude. Cool dude. So that's everything we have for this week's of the uh, episode of the Outlaws Outpost. Tentatively, this is our last episode for the season, unless the World Cup is too awesome not to cover, but we're, we're tentatively saying this is going to be the end of the first season of our show. Uh, so I do want to ask you guys before we kind of wrap this whole thing up, You've been such wonderful guest panelists. Oh, I do want you. to know, uh, why do you guys love the Houston Outlaws so much? Because Houston. <laughs> okay, he has a legit reason. Personally. I'm like, full of shit, though, <laughs> on the other hand. Look, 
out of all of the teams in the Overwatch League, there has not been a single team other than the Outlaws that from the get-go showed camaraderie, showed teamwork, showed a brotherhood mm -hmm. that actually made me feel like, hey, these guys are here to have fun. Mm -hmm. They're performing as a team, as a unit. And I really appreciate seeing that in sports. I've played sports before. I've played sports where people are just in it for themselves. And I've played sports where we are all in this together, working together, and actually trying to succeed. The latter are far more fun games to watch and play than the former. Mm -hmm. And Houston is definitely a team that has that personality to them. And I respect and appreciate that. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many factors here. Obviously, I... I Got on board because I'm from Houston and I got to root for the home team. Uh, again, like I said earlier, I got to watch kind of their camaraderie to it. I think the thing that cemented it is that over the course of the season, a lot of positives happened. I, I did get involved with the watch parties here in Austin. That's what kind of brought me into liking the Outlaws even more than I, I previously had. Um, that was one factor. Um, one factor was getting to meet the Outlaws. Yeah. Um, that was time they took out of their season, which they did kind of go on record and say that kind of hurt them a little bit mm. between stages because they weren't as adjusted to the patches as they need to be. Yeah. But they went and toured all of Texas. You know, they went and met up with their fans. They were super nice. It's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, they, they really wanted to make the time for it. And they still want to make the time for it now that the season's over with yeah. before they get back to it. And I feel like their willingness to give back to the people who support them the way that they do is gonna, really going to take them far in the league, no matter how good or bad they do. Their fans are going to show up. It's yeah. going to be crazy. I mean, they already say that Houston Outlaws fans are one of the most like predominant fans when you watch the Overwatch League sitting yeah. in the audience. Yes. It doesn't sure. hurt that they're backed up by Optic. That's true. It does not hurt their back. And T-Mobile, don't forget. And T-Mobile. The, the best uncarrier. The, be the, best, the best carrier in the United States. So, so I have a fun story to talk about, actually. The reason I'm, I'm uh, part of the Lone Star Vanguard and why I go to the Austin watch parties. Uh, Muma is actually direct, indirectly responsible for the reason I come to the watch parties. Oh, really? Yeah, so, so um, I was watching Muma's stream, like, back in season one, right, right when the watch parties were just starting. And uh, I was actually in the chat, and somebody was like, yeah, I was at a watch party last week. These guys are just starting it up. And I don't remember who it was, for the record. I've, mm -hmm. I, I, I could check their username, and maybe I'll recognize it. But but I actually saw this person talking about watch parties in Austin. I was like, wait, what the what? And I, and I DM'd this guy. I was like, hey, sorry if this is weird, but I saw you talking about watch parties in Austin. What is that about? And they were like, oh, yeah, we go to pinballs every Saturday, and we watch Outlaws whenever we can. And so I've been going to the watch parties since, like, season two, I think, or, mm -hmm. or late season one, whenever right. the watch parties start. Nice. I was at like the third watch party. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, there's so much about the Outlaws that, you know, we could sit here. Obviously, we already do a podcast about it. And we could sit here and rant for ages about how they have great teamwork, camaraderie, how they really support and back their fans. But at the end of the day, you got to admit, when you watch the Outlaws play, they bring some damn good Overwatch yes. to the Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Like, their players Absolutely. are top-notch. Linkser alone, you could sit there and watch Linkser for, I, I don't know, forever. Oh, yeah, Linkser's not going to get traded either. I'm adding him to my list. Linkser, <laughs> Link, Jake, Clock, uh, Cool Matt, and, and uh, Muma. I, I, I remember when this, before the Overwatch League Linkser, started, oh when God. we were just in the Apex tournaments, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talking to a good friend of mine about Overwatch esports, he also played, mm. and we were saying how Overwatch is going to be the first serious esport because Overwatch is one of the few video games that can truly be like a sport where statistics matter, where 
every second makes a difference, where every action makes a difference, whether mm-hmm. someone makes a headshot or not makes a difference. Now, I'm not saying that other esports aren't. But I feel like the amount of flexibility, the amount of teamwork, the amount of thought and game sense that goes into the game of Overwatch in a single match makes it so competitive mm-hmm. that it makes it so entertaining to watch, you know? I also feel like there's an element to it that is accessibility. And this isn't just the Overwatch League, but I'm talking about the game of Overwatch itself. Yeah. Um, there's an accessibility to it where anybody can pick up and play it. Yeah. Um, it's easy to digest the basic talking points of it. But just like any sport, you can sit there and watch uh, somebody who's really into football and he can break down the moment to moment, the complexities. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's throw the ball, get it to the other end of the field. Right. And Overwatch is kind of that. It's, yeah. you know, do this basic objective, but the moment to moment is so very important. Understanding these mechanics are so important. But I've always thought football was pretty inaccessible. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, with I think, over- I think it's soccer. With Overwatch, though, you, you can be a spectator and realize, okay, this team is attacking. They're trying to get to that. Yeah. You know, it's, well, it's, I mean, one of the things that, I, that I, I talked about way early into this podcast was about what makes the Overwatch League accessible in terms of watching it, right? How do you get people who do not play Overwatch to watch the Overwatch League? Right. And what I always point to is what I call John Madden syndrome. Right. I'm listening. Right. Okay, I'm so, curious now. So All right. my, my term for this is John Madden syndrome. We make fun of John John Madden a lot when he would talk back in the day when you watch him uh, you know, talk about football yeah. and you'd pick on him because he would say things that to an out that to a watcher of football were very obvious. You know, somebody would make fun of John Madden and be like, Well, you know you gotta get the ball to the other end of the right. field. Well but, well you see you see when he kicks the ball, that means he's put it <laughs> to the other side of the field. Right. And so we make fun of that as people who understand the mechanics of football. But there is always a chance that somebody will turn on a game of football and this is their first game of football. Very true. Very and true. him talking that way isn't talking down to football fans, mm-hmm. but speaking on a level to people that may not understand the game. And I think that's something that Overwatch League had tro- problems with at the very beginning. But as the game progressed... As you watch season one start to finish, whether it be the Outlaws or somebody else, they began to boil and distillate the core mechanics down so that they could present them in such a way that anybody could turn on the Overwatch League and yeah. say, I think I understand what's going on today. Yeah. I, I do want to give a quick shout out to Sideshow. Um, have you guys seen his articles on the Overwatch League website? Mm-hmm. I haven't, actually. So he's written articles for almost every single complex phrase or something, like whether it be poke, whether it be dive, whether oh, it be shit. tempo. Like, he writes articles explaining, hey, we say this a lot. Yeah. Some people may not understand what this means. Let me explain to you what this means. Let me give you examples of how this works. Mm-hmm. Like, even for an intermediate player who's still learning Overwatch who wants to learn more about Overwatch, like, I've been playing the game for a long time. Mm-hmm. There are also some terms I don't understand, right? So being able to go and read these articles and say, oh, that's what that means. Right. Okay, also, like, it's, it's really important to have that. Mm-hmm. Also, just a little bit of a sidebar. Hey, Overwatch community, can y'all chill on a sideshow and similar just a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> those guys are solid, okay? They're, they're good casters. They're good casters. I love those guys. They do have really good casters. I gotta admit that. Okay, so that is everything that we have for this week's episode of the Outlaws Outpost. So, special thanks to our guest hosts. And before we go, gentlemen, where can people find you guys online if you have a spot? Let me go first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter. 
Uh, I am at th3 underscore p-r-o-j-e-k-t. Why oh, underscore? Right well, because <laughs> it was the regular the project was taken. Uh, look for me on Twitch, the same spelling, without the underscore, because, well, I got that one. Hey, it wasn't taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I do lots of Overwatch content, gaming content. I just, I love this game. Mm-hmm. I love this game so much. You have, like, so much passion when you talk about it. I love it. It's great. I think I've noticed that about Overwatch fans, like, we we can be salty, but like when we really talk about Overwatch, we really have a love in our heart for it. Oh, okay. Like our, our inner mercy comes can, out. Can I can I show my flag a little bit here, right? Yeah. So I'm also a Dallas Fuel fan, mm-hmm. and Dallas Fuel fans were look. <laughs> <laughs> he walks out, just throws we're, chairs. We're some of the most, and are still some of the most salty Overwatch League fans, mm-hmm. but. We're salty because we're passionate, because mm. we love our team and we want to see our team succeed. Right. And there are some, so many fake fans who were just there just because of Seagull, uh, cool, whatever. But when we Old actually got TF2. down to it, <laughs> we, we love our team, just like everybody loves their team. Mm. And I think it's very important to say, like, hey, just because we love it doesn't mean we have to be super happy-go-lucky and cheery all the time, you know? Mm. I have a problem with that. I want to always be positive. I always want to be happy about my team. Sometimes, my team sucks ass. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Let's just throw and, it out and there. not in the good way. I'm a, I'm a high-five on that. Sure. As, no, as a team that, as, a, as, as, as a fan of a team that sometimes also sucked ass, right? I appreciate it. That. It happens. But, like, you got to stick with your team through the good and the bad. Hell you yeah. know, that's what passion's about. At the about. end of the day, we're all just watching good Overwatch. Right? That's why we're doing a podcast about a team that didn't make it into the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. There you go. All right. And as for me, if you love the sultry sound of my voice, tune in every Monday on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv oh, slash the silly nerd. Hey. Hey. You, 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 forgot, you forgot somebody. <laughs> oh. What's up? Yeah, what's up, baby? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Advertise yourself, please. Yeah, okay, so, the floor so, is yours. so once again, I'm, I'm Paul Henderson, Bonzi77. You can find me on Twitter at Paul's Rockin' Twit. I also stream sometimes um, on Twitch and on a channel called The Stuffington Press. It's twitch.tv slash Stuffington Press. I haven't used that channel as much lately, but it's a shared channel also, so if you see somebody else on there, it's okay. They're cool, too. <laughs> um, and I uh, it's cool. Outside that, I also am an occasional guest on another podcast called The Weekly Download. You can find that on Twitter. I can't remember the handle, but if you just look up The Weekly Download, it'll be there. I'm there like every other week, and I may become a regular guest on the podcast. Nice. Yep. Nice. And that's where you can find me. Well, thank you guys very much for tuning in. You may continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's everything we have for the episode and for the season. So until next season, heroes, good night and good game. Good game.